0: Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello everyone, and welcome to Doing Well, the Wellbeing Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We're champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Blue Mo, coming to your ears from NARM, Melbourne, Australia. Let's learn together. Hi everyone, and welcome back to Doing Well. And on today's topic, we are gonna talk about the healing power of humor. And our guest today is the perfect person to talk to us about this because uh, we had a little chat before we officially started. And I can attest that he has a great sense of humor. Um, And so today we have in our virtual studio, Steve Steve Saltanov, who is a clinical psychologist, a university professor and an expert in the application of therapeutic humor. And I told Steve, this is my first time hearing the word therapeutic humor, which is why I was kind of like frazzled going into the podcast, because this is really new to me. I'm sure I'll learn a lot. um, But also, um, I think it'll be a good chance for everyone else um, to also learn with me. So we'll get started. Um, But before we do that, uh, Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. And I would love to get you to introduce yourself to our audience.
1: Okay, well, thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Um, as you said, my name is Steve Sultanoff, and I've been in the field of therapeutic humor for well over 30 years. I've written um, some articles about therapeutic humor, and I'm well known as one of the top experts in therapeutic humor. And so to be here today, to be able to talk about the different impacts of humor really thrills me. That's a a little bit of who I am. I also uh, love sports and I play softball even at my age. Uh, And so anyway, I love being playful. I love promoting humor. Uh, Anyway, I guess that's a good place to start.
0: Yeah, it is. And I'm curious now, you know, how did you get into this uh, area of work? Because obviously, you know, if anyone talks about, you know, like I research or I study humor for my professional journey, everyone would kind of get curious and ask why, you know, how did you get here?
1: Okay, well, I first have to confess that I am what's considered a recovering serious person. Oh, that no one and not one person in my high school yearbook wrote down. Gee, Steve, you're a funny guy. I actually come from a fairly serious academic background, but I was always very playful and fun loving. But I'm not the funniest person on the block. I have had to work for years to be funny. Now, partly I mention that because for all of you listening, if you're thinking, oh, I'm not funny, I can't do that. You can work at it. And I'll be talking about ways that you can improve your sense of humor. I got into the field kind of uh, sporadically. I was always little interested in humor, even though during my seven years at um, at an academically oriented research program, nobody mentioned the word humor. So it wasn't until I graduated, and I graduated as a, as a psychologist, which is my more official title, that I began to be interested. And in, And in the late mid to late 1980s, I went to a couple of conferences where there were sessions on therapeutic humor, uh, using humor in psychotherapy. And I went to those sessions and the presenters, when one of the groups were, these were the top uh, psychologists in the world, four people on a panel. They talked about the importance of humor in psychotherapy, but what they talked about was just stories. They gave anecdotes about, oh, I used humor with this client and it worked and I used humor with that client. And it got me thinking, well, what is it about humor that works? And that made me really interested although i couldn't find much literature on therapeutic humor or the health benefits of humor until early 1990s i found an organization which is today named the association for applied and therapeutic humor and i went to a conference that they had and i found my people these people understood the therapeutic benefit of humor I got really involved with the organization. I was at one time a president of the organization. I wrote articles for their newsletter. And I kept that thinking that I have about what makes humor therapeutic. And at the same time, I was learning a lot about psychotherapy and different models of psychotherapy. And one day I had the aha moment. And in that aha moment, I realized that as a psychologist, I was trying to help people change how they feel, how they think, how they act, and humor changes all of those. And I went, oh my goodness, this could be a really powerful tool. So that's sort of how I got into it. And then once I hit that point, I just kept looking for literature on therapeutic humor, research on therapeutic humor, people who are doing work on therapeutic humor. And there really wasn't much. And even today, there's not a whole lot. But I became more and more passionate about it and learned more and more how to be a funnier guy than I was for so many years.
0: Oh my God, that is so interesting. Well, thank you for sharing that because I can tell you I consider myself to be a very serious person as well. So when I saw the topic, I was like, okay, I'm going to pick up a few things. I'm way too serious for my own good. And I know that it would be really good to, you know, have more humor in our lives. And hearing your journey is just really eye-opening because, you know, we'll, we'll learn a lot more about that. And I'm keen to find out how you, you know, inject more humor into your life uh, because it's actually quite hard. You know, it's hard to be fun, um, as, as hilarious as that sounds. But anyways, we'll we'll find out more about that in a little bit. So yeah, I'm excited to talk to you about that but we always love to get to know our guests a little bit better we have a part called have you met steve and in this part i'm going to ask you a few questions to get some of your recommendations or just you know first things that pop into your mind so my first question which is my favorite one is what is a book you would recommend to our audience
1: oh well i'm gonna cheat and i'm gonna do two i'm gonna do one non-fiction and then my favorite book of all time which is fiction okay Uh, any book by Malcolm Gladwell, but the two books of his that are particularly good is Blink and Outliers. And Blink talks about the bias that we have and how we look at the world in the blink of a moment. And it's, I think, really beautifully written. I don't like to read physically, so they're on audio. So I would recommend the audio for that. And then Outliers talks a lot about how we get to be successful And again, I think it's really well written. He's written other books, too. But Malcolm Gladwell's Blink and Outliers would be the two nonfiction. When we come to fiction, I'm crazy Lord of the Rings. And I read the Lord of the Rings as a child. I've read it, I don't know how many times. Uh, I was interviewed by USA Today when the first movie came out. I mean, at one time, I was a real expert on Lord of the Rings. And so the The thing for me with Lord of the Rings is how skillfully it's written. Tolkien is just a master of weaving a story. There are other great stories and great fantasy stories, but the Lord of the Rings are just so well written. I even have it on my um uh, phone and in iTunes, I guess it is. And when I'm at the gym, I'll pop on a chapter just to listen to somebody talking and and using the words that Tolkien wrote. So my favorite book of all time would be Lord of the Rings.
0: Oh, wow. Thank you for cheating because I love all the recommendations. You know, the more we get, the better. And yeah, I got reminded, I really love those two books by Malcolm Gladwell as well. And I think when I read them, it was kind of like they're not... easy read per se but you know you probably want to read them a few times or even take notes um because like it's it can seem like it's easy to just read and go through it but then if you really want to take out the inside kind of like go back and take notes um so yeah i think that's that's really good that you recommended them i probably have to read them again after this (laughs) Um, but yeah a lot of the rings we have a lot of lot of the ring fans on our team so yeah i think um our team would be thrilled to hear this when the episode comes out
1: And actually, um, since your team's so interested, Hobbiton is not very far from you. Uh, Do you know Hobbiton, right? Yeah, I've been a number of times. I just love Hobbiton. It's like magical to me.
0: You're talking about the set in New Zealand, right?
1: Right, right. Yeah. And they have a variety of different tours there. They're just fabulous.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard. I've heard so much about it. I haven't been to New Zealand yet, even though it's neighbor. So, yeah, I know, I know, I'm going to have to make, I'm going to have to plan it out, right, to see all the wonderful things, especially Halperton. So, yeah, yeah, thanks for that reminder. Um, Okay, so we've covered books, not just one book, but multiple books. Now, what about a movie? And I don't mind if you cheat this time as well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Thinking about a movie... I'm not going to pick what I would say is the best movie or my favorite movie, but one of the most meaningful movies that I've ever seen, and it's called Bicentennial Man, and the main character is an android, and the movie is about an android's search for his own humanity. For Star Trek fans, it would be like data, searching for humanity, but In Bicentennial Man, the main character is somebody you probably heard of, actually, uh, an actor called Robin Williams, and he does a magnificent job, and Sam Neill is the father, and so he's brought into a family as the family servant, but he's different than other androids, and he develops a personality, and the whole movie is about his search for humanity, his own meaning in life, and who is he, and, and what does it mean to be human? So it's a very rich uh, movie in that way.
0: Yeah, I haven't watched this one yet. I definitely will have to do that. Um, I recently saw Dead Poets Society for the first time, and Robin Williams did a wonderful job in that movie. Um, So yeah, because this one has Robin, I'm definitely going to have to tune in as well. Thank you for that recommendation.
1: Yeah, and let me warn you, the beginning of the movie runs a little slow at times. Yeah. So um, you have to get through that, but it really does have meaning and richness to it.
0: Mm, yeah totally i think all good movies are kind of like that you know they 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 don't normally go fast they they leave you with a lot of thoughts though okay so i can sort of guess you listen to a lot of audiobooks i'm hoping you also listen to podcasts and if so what is one that you would recommend
1: well actually my life is so busy that I don't watch podcasts, at least not normally. So I don't have anything to offer you there. I just um yeah, I don't have any but you know, the one that I would recommend over all the others would be this podcast. <laughs> oh. That was great, Thank you. Uh, <laughs> How um, can I not do that? Yeah. Uh, but but in general, I really I I'm just so busy I don't take the time To watch podcasts,
0: yeah, yeah, totally understandable. A lot of our guests are, you know, guests of the show, but they don't listen to podcasts at all. And I was like, that's fine, you know. I actually sometimes don't listen to podcasts for like months, and then I'll get back into it, and then I'll like drop out again. Um, But yeah, I like you. I kind of prefer audiobook um, compared to podcast. So yeah. How about your role model? Now, this is not a recommendation, but we would, we're would we curious. We would love to know if you have a famous role model or if not a famous person that could be a personal role model in your life.
1: Hmm. Well, I've had many role models who have been instrumental in me becoming who I am. But rather than talk about those personal role models, I'm going to talk about one that more people may have heard of and this person, I have a lot of passion for baseball, and this is a baseball player. Okay. And it's a baseball player who is a very good baseball player, but you know, not, not fantastic, fabulous, but he worked really, really hard. He was one of these people that would come out to the ballpark and just do the best he could. It's somebody that truly, I think, achieved the best he could possibly be, and that is Cal Ripken. Mm-hmm. And Cal Ripken, I don't know if you... Follow baseball at all. Um, he's very famous here in the United States. Okay. Uh, he's called the Iron Man. He played in—I don't even remember the number—but it was over three thousand consecutive baseball games, which is unheard of. Oh wow! And he was Rookie of the Year, and he was an MVP, and all sorts of accolades. But the the biggest thing about him is that he's really true to his passion, and his passion is baseball. And he works really hard or did, you know he was, he's not a player today, but during the time that he was playing, he would work really hard. And so I, admi- I admire the persistence, the tenacity, the making the best out of what you have. You know, I think he reached the top of what he could be. And there are many people in sports who are great, but they don't work to be that much better. It's like they're, they're okay with their greatness. And he's somebody I think truly got as far along as he could taking his talent, his effort and um, making it work.
0: Mm, Wow, that's beautiful. I I haven't heard of him before. I'm not not a big baseball fan myself, but that's really good to hear. And I think it's an inspiring story for anyone to follow because I I guess we all have similar role models in our lives, right? Someone who's like so strong, persistent and tenacious, like you were saying earlier, and inspire us to keep going because um, life can be tough. And, you know, sometimes you kind of want to give up because it's easy. Um, And, you know, for example, to play, what do you say, what? 3,000 consecutive games?
1: 3,000 plus. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But when, you know what? It's I take crazy. that back. It was over 2,000. Uh, because I remember his twenty-one thirty-one game was a big deal because he surpassed okay. someone else. So yeah. I, I was in error, but let me correct that. So it was over uh, 2,000 consecutive games. You think yeah. about that. There are yeah. 163 games a year. Yeah. And so, it, you know, we're talking a lot of years.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And not just that, you know, like if you think about uh, our professional career, like it's kind of like, you know, if, if you're breaking milestones down into games and, you know, think about the, the things that you're going to achieve, like projects, for example, it's kind of like doing 2000 consecutive projects without stopping. Right. It's, exactly. It can be pretty intense. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And because I think in sports, one of the things that I mean, I, I know when it comes to sports is like what we see you know, on the field, um, it's just part of the story because they train and train so hard and it's not like they just come to play. Right. Before that, there's so much work that goes into it. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that's kind of like a reminder to all of us because for us to do anything in life, we have to prepare, we have to train ourselves, we have to keep going. Um, so yeah, I think it's a, it's a beautiful story that you told us there. Okay. Final question in this part. What is a course that you completed that left a really strong impact on you?
1: Um, when you say course, I'm not sure what you do. You mean an academic course, it or it doesn't really it need mean... to be
0: academic. You know, it could be any kind of course. Um, you know, it could be like a um, something that you did in university, or just something um, for your personal interest. You know, like um, okay. it could be like something you do for fun. Okay. Yeah.
1: All right. Uh, I think I'm going to go with something academic. Uh, because the most significant academic experience for the fabric of who I am as a psychologist and I'm a trainer, I train people to be therapists. And that was during my graduate program for six years, I was involved um, in a uh, program with one of the professors and it was a program where we all would practice therapy with each other and he would observe us and others in our group would observe us and we'd get feedback on what we were doing and how to improve. And then the next time we practiced, we would work based on the feedback that we had gotten the prior time. And this would go on uh, for two hours a week and during the academic year for six years. So you can imagine. And, And when I started, like so many people, I was petrified. You know, mm-hmm. Here I am, I'm sitting in a room with eight people, one of whom's my professor, the others are my peers, and now they're gonna see how bad I am, what I don't know. And in fact, they did see a lot of what I didn't know because you know, as you were just alluding to with the sports, you have to work really hard to get proficient. Mm-hmm. And so I worked really hard uh, to be a therapist and got feedback from everybody and the professor also did what was co- what we call competency-based training. That meant at each level, as you learned to be proficient, you could move on to a new task. So the group I was just describing was our training group, but the people in that group were trainers for people who were in a basic class learning to be therapists. So I was in the training group, and then I was a trainer in a three-hour-a-week lab. And then when I got proficient at that, I went to the next-level trainers uh, class where I was teaching. And then at some point, the professor allowed me to take over the large class. I had 100 students, and there were 10 groups of 10, and I had 10 trainers. And so along the way, it was all competency-based based based on on skill learning. To this day, I continue to train beginning-level therapists using the fundamental model that he took us through way back when. So that's really kind of the most significant course per, certainly professionally that has become part of the fabric of my life.
0: Mm, wow I think that's a I don't know like that's a big course to kind of go through because you know I i kind of uh, I've been reading up a lot on you know therapists and their training and um, also like you know listen to audiobooks as well um, written by therapists and I when I heard about you know what they kind of go through to to get to where they are, and especially you when you you even train therapists yourself, I'm just fascinated by by the amount of work that you put in. Um, and also, one of my friends is currently training to be a psychologist himself, and he was like talking about the very first baby steps of you know like just sitting in the consultation room and, and hear what people are um saying or inter- how they're interacting. Um, it's a lot of work to put into that, especially because you're dealing with humans. So, you know, definitely be very extremely careful um, and make sure you're doing the right thing. Um, so, yeah, I think this is just more like my personal bias, but this is probably one of my favorite courses um, on the show to have been recommended, I would say. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, okay, so now we've got to know you a little bit better. Um, let's talk about the healing power of humor. And I think um, today we are going to find out so much more about therapeutic humor because, as I said, to me personally, is a new concept, and I'm sure for our audience is something new to learn. Before we get there, we always start by talking about well-being because that's what this show is about, and we'll relate that to humor in a in a little bit. Um, so everyone has their own you know definition of well-being. Obviously, you're a professional working in the field that has to do with humans' well-being. Um, but I'm sure you have, you know, your personal observation when you've worked with, um, you know, other therapists or you know, patients or just people in general. So, what does well-being mean to you personally?
1: Well, as you know, there are many aspects of well-being. There's physical well-being. There's spiritual well-being. There's emotional well-being. There's psychological well-being. So, there are a whole bunch of subsets of well-being, but kind of in a, a encapsulated way. To me, well-being is. Partly having a sense of settledness, feeling comfortable in yourself, feeling comfortable in your world. It's a sense of gratitude that well being is that you feel grateful for what you have. Not that you can't yearn for more, but there's a sense that you're grateful for the friends and family that you have, for your social environment, for the possessions that you have, for your health, those kinds of things. And another aspect for me of well being is optimism. And probably we'd have to say realistic optimism, because to be optimistic way off the charts about something that probably is never going to happen isn't healthy. But yeah. realistic op- optimism, looking for the bright side. So those are just a few characteristics that for me, I would say are really important as I look at well being.
0: Yeah, I, I guess it's really personal to you, um, but it's also true to a lot of us, right? Because it, it I really like that you said uh, settledness. I think that's the word that you used. And I really like that because, um, you know, like I, I don't know about our audience or other people, but recently I've, I've found that the well-being, as you said, it has a lot of different aspects. Uh, but I, I do feel that when I, I was a little younger, I was kind of like, you know, like, Life has to be like always like going up or like, you know, there's going to be something big happening for for me to like feel that sense of well-being. But now I just feel like I want to be comfortable in my own skin and be comfortable with whatever's going on and just enjoy the little things. And in fact, that's what I talk to my colleagues a lot. And sometimes I ask them, I ask them, so how do you enjoy every day? You know, how do you enjoy the mundane side of life? You know, because I find that sometimes it's, it's really hard to do that. And we just kind of forget and we're like, oh, like it has to be like something great has to be happening today for you to like feel a sense of well-being. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning. That's what I that's what I wanted to talk about, mainly um, based on your definition. I like it because um, I think it's so important to be reminded that it doesn't have to be, um, you know, like adventures or adventures all day, every day, um, but it's, it's rather how you see your own life adventure, because it could be an adventure just getting uh, to cook something new today or, you know, like just to do a new exercise at the gym today. That's fun. Um, so, yeah.
1: Yeah. So as you say that, it's well-being is really about the being and not about the doing. So it, no matter what you're doing, if it's within your, you know, your settledness, your uh, passion, uh that this would be part of the well-being if you know and you're grateful for whatever you're doing but doing it is not the important thing but the part of you inside that is experiencing it and appreciating it Mm -hmm. is the important part
0: yeah, definitely, and I think it's so hard nowadays in our you know modern society, right? Because we are always in the state of like, oh, there's gonna be you know like we gotta do more, 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 and you know you gotta be productive and you gotta like achieve things. Otherwise, you're kind of stagnant. You're not really like doing life right. And I'm just like, ah, maybe not. You know, maybe it's the opposite of that. Because like, we we lived in this state where we're kind of like oh, you gotta do more, and then what do we get out of that? Burnout. Number mm-hmm. one thing. You know, get burned out from everything and you just don't connect with yourself which is so dangerous which is one of the things that i personally got wrong um in, on this topic i personally got wrong that you know i had to achieve more to be able to have a better sense of well-being um like i got to earn more money i got to you know um have more projects going on i got to put more things out there that are sort of like you know they have to be different or they have to be special um, or they have to be my projects um, but now I've realized that it's not always the case and sometimes the opposite is true. So that's just one misconception coming from me, right? And I'm sure that when you've worked with people, um, especially in, in the over 30 years of experience you've had in the field, I'm sure you've noticed quite a few different misconceptions. So what are some of the biggest misconceptions that you think people have when it comes to well-being?
1: Well, I think you really hit the nail on the head, which is you are what you accomplish. And our whole society seems to stress that, uh, you know, what are you doing? Uh, What are you, how are you accomplishing things? What are your successes rather than what have your experiences been? Or how do you uh, go through and do the things that you do? What's it like doing those things? So I, I think the big misconception is that our value is based on our performance rather than who we are.
0: Mm, yeah, that that's such a great reminder. You know, I struggle with that, as I said earlier. So I need that reminder. And I don't know who needs to hear this today, but that is so true. Anything else that you think would be, you know, um, a- another big misconception that people might get when it comes to well-being?
1: Oh, you know, nothing pops in my head right, you know, right away. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there are plenty of others that are just not coming to me right now
0: yeah yeah I guess it it can come out in our conversation later because today we're talking about humor, right and that's another right. thing uh, I think that's another thing actually before we go into the topic. um another thing that I get wrong is kind of like um you know having fun. So um, I, talk, I talked about this uh, previously on uh, the previous episodes of this particular show, uh, but I kind of want to talk about it again in case uh, we have new audience members who didn't know what I was talking about. Um, so I went through a period of burnout. And in that period, I was kind of like, okay, how do, I, how do I recover from this? I was kind of planning activities and things to do. And I realized that I didn't have enough fun in my life. I didn't laugh enough. You know, I know that humor is not just about laughter. um, And it's not just about like having fun, but there's, I'm I'm guessing there will be so much more to it that you'll talk about um, later. But I realized that I was so serious, you know, like I was so serious when it comes to anything, especially um, talking to friends or like enjoying an experience. I didn't really inject any sense of fun and humor into those activities. And when I started doing that, you know, just be, you know, just enjoy whatever I was doing and have fun with it. And in fact, I started making jokes and my friend was kind of taken aback because she was like, she, she thought I was being serious because normally, you know, me being me, I'm like, oh, I'm serious. and she was kind of taken aback. I don't remember exactly what I was saying, but we was probably like talking about, um, I don't know, um, let's say we're, we were walking by the water and then uh, I was like, oh yeah, that's our yacht, you know? And she was like, oh, a yacht. And then, you know, kind of taken aback by my um, comment there. And I think it's like, it's kind of interesting because I know there's so much more to humor, not just that. Um, but I've learned in that, you know, short period of like trying to recover from this burnout that it's kind of fun. You know, it's fun from both myself and the people that I, in, I interact with because it spreads that positive energy. And it's kind of like, it's just, you feel lighter afterwards. So that's how I felt. Um, but I wonder what, how you would define humor in general, you know? Um, it's it's not just making a fun comments, right? It's so much more to that. So how do you define humor?
1: Well, defining humor is really a challenge. Hmm. And one way of defining it is by the outcome. And the outcome could be, be that humor is anything that makes you laugh, makes you feel good, um, changes your perspective, or bonds you with other people. Now, there are other things that do some of those things, yeah. but that's one way of looking at it another way is looking at what is it that causes you to experience humor yeah. so for example the presentation of incongruity causes people to experience humor and I, when i say that i picture one of the slides i have in one of my presentations and it's a can of what's called Rustolium, and okay. Rustolium is uh, a compound that takes off rust. So, if you have rust on things, use rust oleum. So, visualize this can with a big name rust on the front and it's all rusted. <laughs> so, that's incongruity. Yeah, yeah. So, that's one way that we experience humor. And yeah. there, there are a number of them. I call them the ticklers. Mm-hmm. So, one is incongruity, another is a startle where you have a startle, but then you quickly figure out that whatever's startling you is safe. Mm. And in the old days, there was a TV show that you probably, I hope you've heard of it, but maybe not, called Candid Camera. Does that name ring a bell? No. No. Okay, this is a very old TV show, and they would set up stunts that would put people in situations that were really kind of weird, and then at the end, they would say, smile, you're on candid camera, because people were uh, what's what's going on here? Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you one of those setups real quickly. Yeah. There was an office, and this new hired woman was in the office, and she was given instructions to fax the lunch order to a local restaurant. So you see her go into the room, and she faxes the lunch order to a, a restaurant, and she was told to wait. Two minutes later, the food Pops out of the fax machine. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so she's going, What is this? What is this? Well, yeah. it's a startle that you quickly figure out that there's some joke to it. Yeah. So mm. that's another way that we experience humor. Yeah. Uh, another way that people experience humor is when it's emotional chaos remembered in tranquility. Those moments, they're not funny at the time, but later on, there's a lot of humor around them. For example, there are cancer recovery groups that have an enormous amount of humor about cancer in the groups. That would be one example. Another a couple uh, that I, I talk about in my presentations, after one of the hurricanes wiped out a community, people went out and erected signs in front of their homes. And one sign read, gone with the wind. <laughs> Another sign read, house for sale, half <laughs> off. oh that's good and then my personal favorite was house for sale some assembly required (laughs) yeah that's now the day after the hurricane you don't go out and erect these kinds of signs because you're emotionally traumatized yeah but as time gets you away from the emotional trauma many people engage their sense of humor to recover Mm. and so humor is sometimes seen as emotional chaos remembered in tranquility.
0: Mm.
1: Another form of, of, of humor, another trigger of humor is when something's absurd or ridiculous. Yeah. You say something and, and uh, you just know that it, it's not possible but you say it anyway. So for example, I, I mentioned that I play softball yep. and um, a couple of weeks ago I got up to the plate and I'm in a, playing in a field, it's an open grass field and way, way in the back are some trees and if you hit it into the trees it's a home run. Now, at my age, I can barely get it into the outfield. You know, I'm not going to hit the trees. This is I may one time. So I turned my back to the um, I turned to the umpire and I said I just want to clarify if I hit it in the air into the trees that's a home run, right? And he looks at me and he cracks up. And of course, I was <laughs> teasing and he got it. Yeah. But what was funny was the absurdity, the mm. ridiculousness. Yeah. So these are some of the triggers of humor and of course that's different than therapeutic humor yeah. uh, although those triggers can all be used to create therapeutic humor but those are some of the ways we might define humor either by the stimulus which is what i was just talking about mm. or by the response which is what i talked about at the very beginning the response being uh the laughter as a physical response or emotional response cognitive response all mm. of those things
0: yeah yeah that's that's really interesting because i think um, the, the part where a lot of us might not notice is the the last type of humor. I don't exactly remember the words you were using, but it's kind of like, you know, being able to laugh at situations that initially caused us discomfort or, you know, like um, just lots of negative emotions initially. Um, because I, I was actually, I was talking to another guest um, the other day, um, I think not on this show, but on another show. Um, and we were talking about the ability to laugh at our ourselves or situations that we had to go through and that helped to build resilience, you know? Um, and I was kind of like, yeah, that is so true because, you know, like I have this tendency to kind of spiral down the rabbit hole when I go through something tough, but then when I am able to, you know, gather myself and look at the situation and think about it, you know, five years later, let's, let's just say, okay, imagine it's five years has passed. Now I look at, I look back on that situation. Can I laugh about it? Yes. So I can start practicing laughing about it now instead of, you know, sitting in that, you know, like sitting there like a sad sack uh, because it really helps, you know, it helps to kind of, I don't know if this is true in research, but I felt like it gives me hope. It gives me a sense of, you know, like peace and being able to you know, do that helps me to get through things a little bit quicker, you know, a little bit more easily. Um, and another thing is, uh, I, I don't know, if, I don't know if which part of the definition this would fit into, but the ability to laugh at ourselves. Because um, I remember that you're, you're saying at the beginning, you're a recovering serious person. Um, and so to me, like this is like so true in that sense, because I'm also a recovering serious person. I, I, I used to find it so hard to laugh at myself because I felt like, and this is probably coming back to childhood trauma. I don't know exactly which part of it is, um, but I think I, I used to be expected to always do the right thing which means I shouldn't say the wrong thing, which means, you know, if I do something, um, like whether it be like something physical or um, mental, it has to be like right. Um, so if I, you know, um, stumble and fall in the PE that you know other people will laugh at it and I'll feel so embarrassed and I wouldn't be able to laugh at my my own self. So now I'm still like I'm still learning but I feel like it's actually helping. Um so instead of being afraid of making the mistakes or being afraid to like stumble and fall when I'm doing um let's say pilates in class or yoga in class, I find um I find it a little bit easier to laugh at myself and I feel like that gives me more joy. And I used to be uh, a little offended when people make fun of me um, when, you know, these things happen, but now I actually enjoy it with them. You know, now I'm able to kind of like laugh with them um, because I know it's just for fun and there's nothing against me. It's just, you know, like to, to kind of lighten the mood. And so it's taken a really long time for me personally to do this, uh, but I can, I can definitely attest to the fact that it really helps. Um, with my well-being because I I take things less seriously and I don't like have so much on my mind all the time, like, you know, constantly worried about um, my image or how other people think of me. And I find that to be extremely helpful. Um, So just to add on to your definition of humor. um, But yeah, I think as you said, therapeutic humor is a little bit different. Um, So yeah, I would love to hear from you what you think to be, you know, the difference from the humor that you just talked about. And therapeutic humor, because I think both of them contribute to our well-being, but probably in different ways. And if so, how?
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we could, and we're not going to, but we could get into a long discussion about yeah. uh, the humor that's therapeutic and humor that's hostile or not therapeutic. So I don't want to put I put that part aside. Okay. But talk about therapeutic humor, and we could talk about a difference between therapeutic humor and humor that's therapeutic. If you go to a comedy club, when you leave the comedy club, chances are you're going to feel better. You're going to have uh, pleasant, you know, tickling feelings. And that humor was therapeutic, but it was therapeutic and it was an, through entertainment. Mm-hmm. And that's not therapeutic humor. It's It was therapeutic, but not therapeutic humor. To have it be therapeutic humor, the person that is creating it has to be creating it with intent and purpose to be therapeutic, so in my everyday life, I go out and I do things with people I interact with, with the purposeful intention of giving them a therapeutic moment. Yeah, and I'm not when I tell a joke. And it usually, it's not to entertain someone, although sometimes I tell jokes to entertain. But usually, it's to have a positive impact. So any type or most types of humor are therapeutic, and I can explain why that is, You know what humor does that's therapeutic. But for me to be therapeutic humor, it has to be intentional. I have to be doing it for the purpose, and it has to have a purpose. It has to have uh, an idea that I'm doing it to lighten your mood or to have you think differently, to let go of uh, your cognitive stress or your physical stress. And then in the work that I do, I also believe that therapeutic has three human, in fact, I would call them well-being aspects to them. And those three aspects are one, that I give humor with empathy. When I am being humorous with another person, I am being empathic. Even if I'm making fun of you in some way, which is generally seen as not a good way to use humor, but even if I'm doing a little bit of poking fun at you, I'm doing it from an empathic place rather than a hostile place. I mean, doing humor that is genuine for me—it's true to who I am.
0: Yeah.
1: I once saw Robin Williams uh, be the MC for an eight-hour conf- uh, uh, music show, mm. uh, and it was—he—he he was amazing. But I can't be Robin Williams. I don't have that part of him in me. My humor tends to be more cerebral, more cognitive. I don't like slapstick. So however I am humorous with you has to be congruent and genuine for who I am. And then the third part of therapeutic humor that I believe to be true is that when I'm using therapeutic humor, I accept you for who you are. So I accept that whatever it is, if I'm poking fun at you or if I'm poking fun at something else or I'm poking fun at myself, I'm doing all of that within a feeling of uh, positiveness toward you. I accept you for who you are. So those are three human qualities, and and if you were familiar with psychology, those I pulled from a very 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 famous psychologist named Carl Rogers, and he talks about those as being the three fundamental aspects to all human kindness, human communication. So that. For me, describes therapeutic humor. And then I don't know if you want to do this now or in a few minutes, but I, I think to get in t- into the impact of humor and or therapeutic humor in yeah, the different down. well-being ways, is, that, is this a good time to do that? Do you want to-
0: yeah, let's talk about it.
1: Okay. So when we look at therapeutic humor or humor in general, humor has multiple impacts. You've heard the term laughter is the best medicine. And people say that all the time. They say, you know, know, it's great when I laugh at myself and all of that. And all that's true. But what happens is people are lumping laughter in with all the other aspects of what is therapeutic about humor. And I'll get to those in a moment. Laughter itself is a physical response to humor. And when I say a physical response, I mean you laugh and you breathe in and out more quickly, you tense your muscles, release that, you maybe bend over, uh, you have a sound that you make when you're laughing, your giggle or your guffaw, or whatever it is. So laughter's a physical experience. Now the research in laughter is probably the most abundant compared to the other aspects of therapeutic humor. So if we look for a moment and and the look at the research on laughter, what we're looking at for the most part are what are the physiological benefits of laughter. Mm-hmm. And there are a number of them. It's not a, a ton of research, but there is enough to make us think that these probably are accurate. One is that antibodies tend to be increased with laughter. So your infection-fighting antibodies and... Um, In addition to antibodies increasing with laughter, pain tolerance increases with laughter. So if you're experiencing pain and you can be laughing, your pain goes down. Mm. Blood pressure goes down with laughter. Uh, uh, Immunoglobulin A, uh, which is um, an antibody that fights upper respiratory disease, increases with laughter. And serum cortisol, Cortisol is what's secreted when we are stressed. Serum cortisol goes down with laughter. So these are some of the physiological benefits. Now, the one physiological benefit that everybody has always talked about is the secretion of endorphins. And there's not a lot of research that supports that endorphins are secreted with laughter. However, there are a few studies that have found that to be true. And we also know that endorphins are the body's um, painkillers. You know, when you have endorphins, you don't feel as much pain. And there are a number of studies that show that, as I mentioned, that humor uh, increases tolerance to pain. Well, what would the mechanism be? Probably endorphins. So in all likelihood, with deep heartfelt laughter, endorphins are secreted. And as I said, there are a few studies, not a lot, maybe three, four, five, that have shown that. So that's... Laughter being the physical impact of humor. Mm -hmm. But that's where most people stop. And they don't realize that laughter also stimulates what I label mirth. Mm -hmm. And mirth is the emotional experience of humor. So earlier you were talking about, I forget exactly what, but you were talking about experiencing humor and feeling better.
0: Mm,
1: And the feeling better is the experience of mirth. So the experience of mirth and distressing emotions cannot occupy the same psychological space. Right. When you're experiencing the joy, the pleasure, the uplift of humor, you can't be experiencing distressing emotions such as depression, anxiety, anger, etc. cetera. So we know that humor activates mirth, which gives both a positive uplift as well as dissolving emotional distress. So that's a second area of well-being that humor creates. The third, and you talked about this too, is what I've called wit. And wit is the cognitive experience of humor. Mm. That is the experience when you you get the humor, it puts things in perspective, it changes the way you view the world. And you talked about that earlier as well. And to put that in perspective, there's an enormous amount of research on negative thinking and physical distress. Negative thinking is related to gastrointestinal problems, particularly irritable bowel syndrome. Negative thinking is related uh, to heart disease. I mean, there are a number of things negative thinking is directly related to, as are distressing emotions. And so the one way to have a real physiological impact is to reprocess while we think and humor through wit provides perspective the area that i was talking about of emotional chaos remembered in tranquility is a way of gaining perspective yeah. on this traumatic event mm-hmm. so now humor changes our uh, with laughter our physical experience with mirth the emotional experience with with the cognitive experience and you talked about this too the final area that i wanted to talk about is the social Area, And that is, you were talking, and again, I don't remember exactly what you were saying about uh, a social impact of humor, you know, sharing humor with another person. Yeah. That's called relational fusion. And relational fusion is when humor helps to bond people together or to serve as a, a lubricant for the stress. Uh, you hear this frequently in couples' relationships and they're having a big argument and then one or the other does something humorous and it breaks the tension and relieves some of the distress. Yeah. So humor can be used as a social uh, you know, lubricant to relieve distress through the experience of relational fusion. So now when we look at the therapeutic impact of humor and the, the well-being aspects of humor, we can look at it having laughter is physical, mirth is emotional, wit as cognitive, and relational fusion as social uh, interactives.
0: Mm. Wow, there's so many aspects to it. And uh, I was just kind of shooting in the dark, you know, talking about my own experience. But I guess we all experience these aspects as humans, right? It's just more so defining them. Because sometimes in the moment, we don't really know and we don't really pay attention to what actually is happening. But then now that you kind of explained it, it makes more sense because my overall conclusion is there are just so many benefits to, you know, having that sense of humor and being able to laugh, um, especially when things are a little more tense. And I find that it's, it, you know, it, it kind of is hard because it depends on the person who you are and also depends with the people that you're with in that particular moment Uh, because yes if we're watching comedy at home we're probably laughing by ourselves but most of the things that you were describing they're kind of like based on interaction you know how we respond to a certain situation
1: oh my background just crashed
0: that's hilarious (laughs) did you want to redo that or should we keep that in the show because that's hilarious
1: um, oh. yeah no i think we should keep it i was having gonna have a crash later <laughs> in the show but
0: uh. Uh, yeah i mean if you don't mind i would love to keep that part because that's hilarious yeah, yeah sure, sure yeah so how is that what is that humor in particular you know being able to laugh at that backdrop polling how would you define oh. that well, that's the unex-
1: that? uh, it's unexpected surprise.
0: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh,
1: the unexpected surprise, which we find humorous, as long as the unexpected surprise didn't have a really bad ending. Like when that happened, if I had fallen over and cracked my head open or smashed something in the back, that yeah. wouldn't be. Then it wouldn't be funny. Yeah. but the unexpected surprise followed by realizing that. Mm. Um, it's just the screen falling over. It's no big yeah. deal yeah. is when we find it funny.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, that's actually really, um, that's a really good example because now that reminded me of something funny that happened. Um, so now I think uh, there was a, probably a little bit of tension in that situation, but I found it funny. So um, I was out with my friend and um We said goodbye and then she was like, oh, actually, um, I'm going to go get something with my partner from this bakery. Do you want to join us? And I was like, yeah, let's go. So we went together um, and I hadn't met her partner before. I was just kind of like, I think I I said hi to to him once um, and the, the bakery was really nearby. So I was like, "Okay, I'll join them. Now, we went to the bakery, he went and got some tart, uh, but he walked out and uh, she was like, oh, let's, let's take a look at them. He opened them and instead of tarts, he got like strawberry cakes or something like that. Um, which was, you know, like, obviously we were laughing so hard. My friend and I were kind of like laughing at the situation, not at him, but he was really annoyed at us for laughing. Um, but like, like you said, there was no harm done, right? We were right there. He could exchange the cake back. It was fine. Uh, but I found that it's actually quite hard for some people. And I know this in myself because sometimes it's really hard for me to laugh a situation because I take it personally, perhaps. And so my next question is, how do we, you know, how do we know and how do we as humans get to kind of find these jokes funny? Because I think it depends a lot on the different aspects. Like I mentioned, I noticed it could be a little bit of personality. It could be a little bit of, you know, what you're going through that particular day. Um, you could, you know, be the kind of person that takes things a bit more personally or, you know, be a bit more on the serious side and laughing about a situation is kind of harder. Um, so how do different people find different jokes funny?
1: Well, what you're really talking about is the whole context issue. Mm -hmm. And the context issue is, who are you with? Do you have a shared context for the joke? Mm -hmm. Like when people go back to high school reunions and they're with their friends there, they're talking about high school stories and all these funny stories, but the spouses are there. And they're bored to death. They don't find them funny because (laughs) they don't have this shared experience. So that's an aspect of humor of, do you have a shared experience when it's a social humor? The another aspect of it is, do you have the context within your own head? Do you know enough about what it is to find it funny? So um, let me tell you a quick story that illustrates that. And that is... um, Rene Descartes, the famous French philosopher, was mm. on a flight from Paris to New York. Okay. And the flight attendant came up to Dr. Descartes and said, Excuse me, sir, can I get you a drink? And he replied, I think not. And he disappeared. Oh. And you see, you don't get it, <laughs> right? You have no, no clue what that Wait. was about.
0: Wait, hang okay. on. <laughs> do you want do but you want that's water? Fine. Is that what she said?
1: No, I, 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 this one you won't get unless you absolutely know
0: the okay. context. Okay. So, okay.
1: but this is what that it's an example of a joke that I almost never tell unless I'm with a group of people who I think may have um, some philosophy background. Right. Descartes is the philosopher who said, "I think, therefore I am."
0: All right.
1: Okay. Oh, so on yes. the plane, okay. he says, "I think not," and he disappears.
0: Right. Okay. Now gotcha. that's an
1: example of you have to know the yeah. context mm-hmm. in order for the joke to be funny. Now that's you know really kind of a a real heady kind of a, a story. But it's in general there are lots of times where if you um well here's one. Why did the turtle cross the road? Why did the turtle cross the road?
0: Again, I do not know this one.
1: To get to the Shell station. No. <laughs> now, do you know Shell gasoline or no?
0: Um is that a an American thing?
1: Well, it may be. Yeah, I think
0: I've seen that in like movies or something like that. Yeah, okay.
1: So unless you know that there are gas stations, you know, like, you know, Exxon and and Chevron and Shell, then it's not funny. Yeah. But if you know that there are Shell stations, then you kind of put it together. The turtle's going to the Shell station. Okay, he's got a Shell and the Shell station is a gas station. But again, you have to know the context in order for it to be funny.
0: Yeah, yeah. I totally relate with that um, because I think uh, in Australia, it's very different. You know, like probably like the kinds of gas stations we have are very different. I think I might have seen Shell somewhere because I see a lot of American TV shows and movies. Um, But there's another particular joke that we get here that, you know, people outside of Australia might not get, uh, especially Melbourne people will get, um, other people might not. Um, so yeah, like I think there's the, um, there's this meme I saw a, a while ago, um, where we have you know we have a lot of different train lines in Melbourne, and um, it kind of goes something along the line of um, when you are uh, when when the the train line is the girl you like, and then you are East Melbourne, basically, you don't get that right, because East Melbourne is a station that never gets stopped at. So Uh, basically, you know, the train, the girl never stops at your station, basically. Um, And that's kind of like, that's hilarious when I saw it. But then I was like, if I tell my friend at home in Vietnam this, they would probably have no idea what I'm talking about. So that's hilarious, right? But uh, you're so right. It depends on the context. If you have no idea what they're talking about, it doesn't make any sense. And that reminds me of, because um, I really love the Big Bang Theory. I've seen it like 10 times. Oh,
1: <laughs> uh, I, that's I, one of my favorites. I've been to the live um, recording of no, Big Bang maybe five no, times.
0: No. Oh, my God.
1: Yeah. Oh,
0: no. I'm so jealous. Um, yeah. But anyways, I watched, I've watched. watched it like 10 times. And I feel like it's so funny when Leonard tries to make jokes <laughs> with Penny and she doesn't get any of that. Um, but, you know, like um, when he when he talks to the guys, they get it straight away. It's, it's just kind of like one of those classic things where they have to share common knowledge, background. Um, and like you said, that's the context to what they're talking about, which is super important. Um, but yeah, I find that it, it's it's also like, you know when something has grown on you, you've learned more about a particular topic, you can then laugh about it. Which is also like the, I think it's just like the, I don't know how to describe it, but it's just kind of like this really fun things about life where you just pick up new knowledge and then you're able to laugh at more things. If that makes any sense, so you know, like when you were younger, you probably didn't know how to laugh at like the jokes that your parents were making, right? Right.
1: And then you grow we didn't up, get you pick the up more things.
0: Yeah, you yeah. get the context now, and you can you can laugh at it. Um, and so similar to you know different fields and different things in life, um, when people make jokes, um, you probably don't get it now. But when you start to pick up the things that you're, they're talking about, whether it be a TV show, um, like you know a particular topic like psychology um, or like you, you were mentioning baseball earlier and like other things like, um, you know, philosophy. Once you've started learning these things, you'll be able to pick it up and it's easier for you to laugh at things or make jokes about things. Um, so I think that's how you can nurture your sense of humor, which is a really fun side to life. Um, but, you know, we were talking about the cognitive benefits of humor too, and you you briefly mentioned it. I find that to me, when I pick up new things and I'm able to laugh at different things um, or make jokes about different things, I feel like um, I'm sort of like training my you know my brain um, in a way. And I kind of find that this is probably the correlation between that and the cognitive benefits of humor, perhaps because it's not just about picking up new knowledge; it's also the the ability to make sense of things, and you know. Able to The ability to curate jokes out of something that you probably didn't know before. So what's your take on this?
1: Well, I certainly would agree. The more you experience life, the more ways that you can um, create humorous moments. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I do is I try when I go out to have humorous moments. I'm not out there telling jokes to people or stories, but humorous moments. So, for example, I go into the doctor's office and I have an appointment and I walk up and the receptionist says, "Um, can I get your name? And I look at her and I say, well, you have a computer there. I would expect my name would be in your computer. I mean, don't you know my name? Shouldn't it be there? And she looks at me, yes, sir, but I need to know your name. And so and sometimes they get very serious because yeah, yeah, they don't yeah, get yeah. that I'm messing yeah. with them. And yeah. other times they they laugh. It's like yeah. okay, all right because they have to ask. Of course they have the name, but they have to ask because they check yeah. people in and all that. But Absolutely. that would be an example where I do something funny in that moment, hopefully to brighten that person's day. Mm. And so I, I do that with some frequency. I I go to um, a lunch every once in a while, and there are a bunch of us that go. and And you get in a, a line to check in, and you have to pay, and your name's on a list. And so the guy ahead of me says his name, mm-hmm. and then I get up, and she looks up at me, and I say his name. <laughs> and, so, and then the then playing along, the guy behind me said yeah. his name. Yeah. So it was like messing with people, but not being nasty and not trying to threaten them but just being a little playful and they chuckled and laughed and in fact at the same place last week um because of covid and everything you have to do a survey every like six months of of things so i had they took my old survey and and the manager there had written things down for me and she comes over she gives it to me so you need to sign you need to fill this out and then she says and i just loved i really laughed at Uh, your comment uh, when it says um uh significant other or spouse or something like that i put down keeper wife (laughs) and so sometimes i'll say my current wife and (laughs) and things like that and so people laugh at that so they get a little bit of playfulness and humor in that moment and my purpose is that people in these kind of service positions take a lot of crap from a lot of people And so I tried to do something to have a moment of brightening their days.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I think it depends too. And I think one of the comments you made earlier is really important where you say, you know, the joke is not, it's not nasty to them. It's not mean or anything like that. It's just to kind of like, you know, to to make jokes and create a fun situation that everyone can laugh at. And I feel like that is such an important thing to notice as well. And, And I think this has to do with our cognitive ability to make sense of things and be able to really tell what is like a good joke. Or, or like what is a, a non-offensive joke that people can enjoy, you know, cause there's a really fine line. Sometimes I find that, you know, there are certain jokes that you kind of laugh at. Um, and there's also sarcasm, you know, which is like part of the, the humor, um, spectrum, whatever you might call it. And I feel like sometimes people might take it or can take it too far. Um, where, you know, it doesn't have to be like that. And it's just mainly nastiness. It's not, Like to make people laugh, but more like to make fun of someone at the expense of themselves, at the expense of the person that they're talking to. And that's just just not nice in general, because I feel like that's the opposite of nurturing that sense of well-being that we're talking about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's where that part that I was talking about earlier of empathy comes in, because sarcasm is generally not empathic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Corrective humor, where I try to say something to you to correct you, is not empathic and, and can be hostile and harmful.
0: Yeah, definitely. So the last golden question here would be, you know, how do we train our sense of humor? What are some of the, the ways that we can train our sense of humor in the positive direction that we've been talking about? Not sarcasm, not those nasty kinds of jokes, but actually the ones that would nurture our sense of well being.
1: There's so many ways to to start to increase what I call your comic vision. And one would be to have humor come to you. A way of having humor come to you is to watch Big Bang Theory. Now, not that the audience <laughs> all would want Big Bang Theory, but if you if you have a sitcom that you like or a comedian that you like or that you go and get a uh, sign up on a joke site on the Internet, you get a joke or a cartoon every day. Yeah. That's a passive way of bringing humor to you so that you begin to stimulate your funny bone. So that's one mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Another would be to begin to promote humor. So learn one joke. Learn a very simple joke. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, we know all the crossing the road jokes. Here's a simple one. Mm-hmm. Why did the little boy cross the playground?
0: Again, I do not know this one.
1: I to, get get to the the train other, myself. To get to the other slide. Oh, So that's a very simple, quick joke, and you can you know pick one or two or three of those so that you have them in your repertoire. So (laughs) if the occasion presents itself, you can in fact share a joke. Yeah, Uh, and so that would be another where you have something like that. I carry a lot of props, right? So I have props on me all the time, and one of my (laughs) favorite—I'll show you right now—when I go to rent a car. And when I go to check into a hotel, they all, always say, "Well, can I? I see a license." Yeah. And uh, I hope that you can see that. Do you see I, how handsome I am in that picture? Uh, yeah. Can you tell? Yes,
0: yes, very handsome. But I can't really, yeah. I can't really read what's on there. Yeah, it's it, kind of blurry. Okay.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, so you, you can't recognize who that is. No, that's Elvis Presley.
0: Oh, is that Elvis? <laughs> It's an
1: Elvis driver's <laughs> license.
0: Uh, it was the kind um, of blurry when you put it close. I was uh, like, I just uh, oh yeah, I hand guess so. Yeah, if I put
1: it here, you can't see it. But yeah. um, it's an Elvis driver's license. So, I mean, I've had magical things happen. I remember at one hotel, <laughs> I used that. And the guy said, "Oh, I'm such an Elvis fan. This is wonderful." And he uh, said, "You know, your room is a parking lot view. I'm going to upgrade you to a, a bay view." And he changed uh, my room what? for me. <laughs> no, I don't do it for that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. that's um, one, one kind of uh, thing yeah. uh, when I get, Oh, you know what? I, I was going to have it here on my desk and I don't, but I'll tell you quickly the story. When okay. I go for x-rays, I mm-hmm. always wear a white knit shirt Okay. and you know how dark the room is. Yes. After the x-ray, I say to the tech, I say, you know, I really feel, I really feel tingly inside. Did you have that machine set right? I mean, this, I don't feel right. And he said, no, mm-hmm. no, it's all set right. Well, I have these things called thumb lights. And there are lights that go on your thumb and you press them and they are bright red. So I put them on my shirt. I press them. This red light shoots up my shirt. His jaw <laughs> drops to the ground. Oh, my God. after you. a moment, he laughs. And I do the same thing when I get blood drawn. You know, they tell you to put your, your the finger on the um, gauze yeah. while yeah. I do my thumb and I have my thumb light and it all goes red. <laughs> <laughs> so I carry props to promote little moments. And I don't use them all the time, but I have them available. I have my Hmm. uh, credit card, which is through Costco. And when I took my picture, I put my red clown nose on. So on my Costco card, it looks like this. (laughs) And in fact, I did the same thing when I was um, a lecturer at California State University, Long Beach, and they did my faculty ID. Yeah. Uh, they didn't notice, but right before they took the picture, I popped on my red nose and my <laughs> ID card has me with a red nose.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that in the, the the suite of photos that you sent through and I was like, this is gold material. I love this.
1: <laughs> yeah. I did send one with, with the red nose. Yeah. So, so another thing, and it's not for everybody and it wasn't for me initially, but it's to carry props or something that's yeah. funny. Yeah. My Probably my other than the Elvis license, my favorite prop is one that I wear every day during the month of December. And I'm gonna mm-hmm. show it to you. I don't know if you can see. Can you see that?
0: Is that an L? Yes. With like Yeah, it's a red,
1: yeah, red yeah. circle with an L yeah. with a yeah. slash through the middle. Okay. okay. I wear that this everywhere I go for the entire month of December. Okay. I don't tell anybody what it means. Right. It's up to them. Okay. I also keep a pocket full of them so that if anybody gets it and wants one, I'll give it to them. Now, right. do you know what it says?
0: What is that? Most no people
1: elves? don't get it. Oh, say it again.
0: No elves. Oh, yeah. no elves.
1: <laughs> no. notice what happened to you. Yeah. When you got it, yeah. that's part of the humor. Um, one of those triggers of humor is getting it and you got yeah. it. And you yeah. felt delighted in the getting uh, it. And <laughs> that's funny. It's, it's funny. People will project into it. They'll yeah. say no life, no losers, um, yeah. no love. And I say no. It's just exactly what it says. Just and I prompt them until they get it. And yeah. then when they get it, they light up just like you did. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's funny. That's funny because L's in Australia is like the learner's license. So for a second, oh, I was like, for a right. second, I was thinking about that. But I was like, no, it doesn't make sense in December. So then, yeah, yeah. no L's. That that makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hilarious. Oh, I love that.
1: So those are just a few ways that uh, you can you know, add humor to your life, either, you know, have humor come to you to generate humor, to look for the humor around you. Uh, For example, when I was a child, and I've actually seen this on the internet now, in my hometown, there was a street that would drive to a place where the street would end. You had to turn right and you had to turn left. And in front of you was the town graveyard. My father used to love to drive down that street to the stop sign where you had to turn left or right. And he loved it because there was a sign right across the street, right in front of the graveyard. You know what that sign said? No. Dead end. (laughs)
0: Oh, I love that.
1: Great pun. So it's things like that of looking to the humor around you, things that aren't always supposed to be funny, that are funny, or things that people make funny, like signs on people's uh, uh, service vehicles. Yes. like on a plumbing truck, there was yeah. a sign that read, a flush beats a full house. Oh. <laughs> now, that's a po- those are poker terms. I don't know if you play poker, but most yeah, people do. get a flush in poker and, and a full house in poker. Yeah. So uh, on a plumbing truck to have that is just a playful <laughs> way of getting attention.
0: Yeah, that's it- hilarious. Oh, love that. Um, I think it's, it's funny because when, when you said that, I was kind of thinking of the different um, custom plates that I see on people's cars. They are hilarious. They're hilarious. Like, uh, I don't remember. I think one person because um, the, the license in Victoria, where we are, Melbourne, Victoria, the state of Victoria in Australia, um, now they have a plate that starts with V. And uh, someone's plate was just V sick, very sick. It could be like, you know, like it could be anything up, up to your interpretation, but that's cool. Um, and yeah, like I, I find a, a bunch of other places that are hilarious. I, I found a, I saw a G-Wagon on the street the other day and the plate read G-Wax. I found that, I found that hilarious. I was like, whoever did that? It's smart. Um, and yeah, they, they do want people to know that it's a G-Wagon. So great job. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, I think it's something that we can infuse into our lives. It's just, you know, you just need to look.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Look, and that's one aspect, and also just begin to make a little bit of an effort. Yeah. Uh, just, just
0: try it Definitely. out
1: and and see. Oh, do some exaggeration or like the like being playful that I was talking about with the thumb lights or or hmm. teasing the sec- the um, assistant when I go in saying, "Don't yeah. you have my name already?" and things like that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Totally. So, uh, thank you for sharing all of those actual things that you do. However, we do have a a, a separate section where we call practice or habit debrief. Now I know you already mentioned a bunch of practical things, but to go into this part and to really round it out for our audience, if they are, you know, recovering serious people like us, um, or they are not used to infusing humor into their lives, what is one practice that you would recommend that they can try today? So that they can infuse that sense of, or the healing power of humor or the sense of humor into their lives.
1: <laughs> well, I think the beginning is that idea of bringing humor to you. And then the second part would be learning one joke. So reading a joke book and picking one joke that you want to, to be able to pass on. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, the other part is is having p- having humor things come to you. Get a humor buddy. That's a great thing to do, where yeah. each day you share a piece of humor with your humor buddy, and it could be you send them a cartoon, you tell them a joke. It could be uh, in real time. It could be electronically. I have a colleague, and every day she sends humor to, I don't know how many people are on our list, probably a few hundred <laughs> Yeah. And I look through all of these things and many of them really make me smile and some not so funny. But for the general public, if you really wanna begin to add humor into the fabric of your life, mm-hmm. then a humor buddy is a great yeah. way to do that. Mm-hmm. And as you've talked about, as you've experienced humor, it feels lighter. You yeah. lighten the load, you reduce your stress. There's, totally. there's so much benefit the experience of humor, and the more you can add it to the fabric of your life, and it doesn't mean you have to get up at parties and tell jokes and and learn a bunch of complicated jokes. Keep it simple, very yeah. easy. Keep it simple.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, simple is the best, and especially when you're starting out, you, you don't want to. You try. To do that just for the sake of impressing others but more so so you feel the benefit yourself right so it's just good to yeah it's good to, to start small and so thank you for recommending all of those practices um i think it depends on the person you know each person would be comfortable picking something very different, you know, like someone might not really want to um, learn a joke just to tell it, but perhaps they want to get a, you know, like a joke buddy, like you said earlier, um, or humor buddy. So that's that's actually a really good idea. Um, and I'm, now I'm thinking who I can pick as my humor buddy. Um, that would be really fun. So yeah, thank you for that. Um, is there anything else you would like to share in this part um, before we move on to the open mic section?
1: Oh gee. Um well yeah, let me just mention that humor can be used in business like in doing meetings. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I do when I start a presentation is I to get people's attention I have a slide whistle. <laughs> and since now that I've used the slide whistle to get their attention if we do a break, I'll try something else. I'll try a train whistle. <laughs> <laughs> and um, later on I might try something else and and then finally I might be want to be goofy no. That's and oh, so nice. these are just simple props that can be used in uh, meetings whether it's in business or in school or whatever, leadership training and it's not offensive it just gets people's attention in a little bit different way a little bit of a surprise yeah. so we've been talking about kind of humor in the personal life but you can Move it into the professional world. Although yep. clearly, using humor in the professional world, you want to, as you've already mentioned, you really want to be careful. You, you know, know your audience, um, and try not to be offensive with the humor. Although, often humor is offensive to somebody. You yeah. know, even the most innocuous humor. If I tell a joke about a Klingon, uh, somebody's going to be offended by that. <laughs> or a joke about a Jedi. Or yeah. Somebody.
0: Yeah, that's so, true.
1: But you try and be careful. So anyway, Definitely. that just to and that.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. I really like that. Um, yeah, I think uh, our team should definitely pick up something fun to do. Uh, I'll probably try and do something with my team to get their attention at meetings, like like what you do. I might not have those props, but I might be able to come up with something else. So yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Thank you for that. Um, okay, thank you for sharing lots of practices, lots of good insights. To be honest, I would love to keep talking about this because I feel like you have a lot of um, interesting things that. You could share with our audience share with us um, and it's really fun to talk about humor you know because like a lot of the topics are quite serious when it comes to well-being but I think this is one of the most lighthearted hearted topic that we can all you know infuse into our lives so thank you for that um, but I'm conscious of time um, I don't want to keep you here for too long because I know it's getting later where you are um, before you go though we do want to have um, this section called open mic so this is your forum to talk about anything you would like to talk about um, something that you're passionate about or you know, perhaps just a little bit more about your work. Um, so yeah, Steve, take it away.
1: Okay. Uh, well, one of the things I'm passionate about is writing. And ironically, I haven't yet written a book, although I've written chapters. I actually wrote a chapter for a professor in Australia for hmm. a book that he put together on humor. It was on humor and education. Ah. And um, yeah, he was at, is at University of Canberra?
0: Oh, it's yeah, there, yeah. I, that's I think that's capital. where he is. Yeah. yeah, okay.
1: So anyway, um, right now, I am working on a humor book, and the book will be about uh, how humor he is healing. So it'll be basically what we've talked about today. Aww. I would expect that to be finished probably in six to eight months from now. So that's one project that I'm working on. For those who might be interested in reading a little bit about therapeutic humor, one of my two primary websites is MyCE Matters. It's M-Y, C like Charlie, E like Edward, the word matters, M-A-T-T-E-R-S dot com. And on that site, I have a whole series of PDF files that are articles that I've written about therapeutic humor. And it includes things that are humor in the workplace, humor in counseling. And the articles are all free. And they're, as I said, they're PDF. They can be downloaded and shared. Most of them are short. A few of them are a little bit longer. On that same site... And I'm a little bit behind right now, but I've been doing a blog, and the blog has a variety of sections. One section is on psychology, one section on humor. I'm pretty sure there's a section on wellness, a whole bunch of different sections. So if people are interested in and in reading some blog material, that that's certainly there and available. Otherwise, what other projects? Are, well, and my main humor website um, is called humormatters.com and the problem with that website is i built that myself in 1999 and <laughs> then i kept building it ongoing but the software kept changing and i couldn't keep up with the uh, changing software so i had somebody work on the site and change the site and i've not been able to do much with it since then i have someone working on it now so there's a lot of funny stuff there for those of you who are looking for funny material I have Christmas humor, Thanksgiving humor, all the holiday humor. And then I have other topics of humor besides holidays. So quick stories, jokes, they're all short. So if you're looking for a little infusion of humor, uh, try the Humor Matters site and go to the the humor uh, section. Uh, The site's a little bit clunky. As I said, it it hasn't been revised in the way that I'd like to have it revised. and It's very old school in terms of the way it was developed. Yeah. So um, that's another resource for people. Uh, if people are seriously interested in humor, check out the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. That site is aath.org. And we have a conference every year. It's always, always in the United States. So depending on where people are located, although we do have a few members of our organization that are in Australia. And one of them comes to the conference, not every year, but every couple of years, she's there. And so that's another good site for resources on humor and the the humor conferences that we have. And let's see, can't think of anything else. Um, uh, Yeah, nothing else is kind of popping or coming to mind.
0: Yeah, I mean, those are a lot of resources already and I'm sure our audience would love to, um, you know, find out more about your work through those websites. Um, Finally, before we let you go, any um, other jokes you would like to share or, you know, any other ways our audience can connect with you to discuss some potential jokes that they might want to tell?
1: Oh, well, you can always uh, send me jokes through email. My email is on both websites. Um, so I'm happy to receive jokes or people say, hey, can you send me something or something funny? I try to do that. Now, often it gets to be so much I may or may not be able to respond to everything, but I'm, yeah. I'm happy to. Uh, To do that, uh, I'm trying to think of a favorite joke. Um, Actually, I do have a story, uh, a client story. It takes like three to four minutes. Is that okay? Do we have the time?
0: Yeah, we do. Go for it.
1: Okay. So, this is um, a really, to me, a really fun story. I had a client who I like to introduce as my client who was absolutely dedicated to her depression. Oh, there are people who are dedicated to being depressed. And I worked with her for five years. Okay. And during that five years, I worked with her with all sorts of modalities of psychotherapy. And I could not help her to become less depressed. And okay. when someone wants to be depressed, medications don't work. So she had seen a psychiatrist. She was on all sorts of different medications. Nothing worked. The end of five years, I, I said to her, I don't think I'm able to help you. And I think it's time for me to refer you to someone else. And the problem was that because of her financial situation, she was on um, Medicare, I believe. And so she needed to see someone in the Medicare network and couldn't find couldn't find anybody. I was one of the very few providers here at the time. And so she went out and she tried to find someone. She didn't. She came back to me and said, I really want to continue with you. That OK, this was at the beginning of my humor career. And I was not, I hadn't really started. Purposely and consciously using humor with clients. She comes in one day and she tells, does some sort of story. And um, I say something funny uh, about her, not aimed at her as we talked about, but just something funny. And she says to me, I don't like when you do that. And I said, I know, I let it go. The next session, I did something very funny again. She became a little more adamant and said, I really don't like when you do that. And I said, yeah, I know. Let it go. The third week she comes in, and I I really hit it that time. I said something that was really, really funny. And she gets kind of energized and said, you know, I really don't like when you use humor with me. I said, I know. And then I had it. I said, and what is it about my using humor that upsets you so much? Mm. And she said to me, when you make me laugh, I don't feel depressed. (laughs) And the light bulb flashed in the room because for years I had been working with her talking about how dedicated she was to being depressed. And she said, no, I don't want to be depressed. And, you know, it's psychodynamic work, like Freudian kind of work. You interpret those kinds of things. And I had done all that, but she denied it. She denied it. She denied it. And then in that moment, she says, when you make me laugh, I don't feel depressed. And she got it. She got how dedicated she was to her being depressed. (laughs) Now, what's really interesting about that story is uh, the next week she missed session, but two weeks later she comes in and she starts the session by saying, you know, this humor stuff really works. I almost fell out of my chair. I did one humor intervention and you're telling me it really works. I said, well, help me understand. What, What do you mean by that? And she said, well, last weekend I was really depressed and I went to Blockbuster. I don't know if you know Blockbuster Video. In the old days, there was a store called Blockbuster and they would rent VHS tapes. This is a long time ago. And she said, I I rented a a video, a Woody Allen movie. And I watched that movie and laughed and laughed. And afterwards, I felt so much better. And that was the beginning of five more years of treatment (laughs) with her, during which time I increasingly used humor. Mm-hmm. She increasingly used humor with me. Mm-hmm. And when she finally ended therapy, she said to me that of the there are three very, very important aspects of my life. Number one is my religious beliefs. Number two, or tied for number two, would be my art and my sense of humor. Aww. And she had really shifted and used a lot of humor. So that's an example of using humor in psychotherapy. And in that Mm -hmm. case, to help the client to see how humor could relieve the distressing emotion. That's that mirth part, relieving the depression and showing her changing her thinking about how she couldn't get rid of being depressed.
0: Oh wow. That's a that's a really powerful story. Thank you because I have, you know, a few friends that struggle with depressions and I know that it's, you know, it's a journey to to even feel better, let alone to to say, you know, I'm going to end therapy here. You know, that's like a big milestone. Um, so, yeah, what a powerful story to end with today. And um, I know there's probably a lot of other things that go into it, but it sounds like humor is definitely one of the things that can get us through really tough times, um, really tough emotions, you know, and even serious mental health issues if we write it, use it in the right way. Of course, with professional help, like your help. Um, it's not like we can just randomly say, yeah, don't be depressed. Just get some humor into your life, right? It's, it's not like yeah. that. But, yeah it's, yeah, it's truly powerful. So thank you for that.
1: Yeah, although people who do integrate humor into the fabric of their life will feel less depressed.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'm going to try and do more of that to, you know, feel more joy in life, you know? Why not? Oh, amazing! Thank you so much, Steve, for, Steve, for being here. Um, I had a great time laughing on this show. I don't think I've ever laughed this much on an episode before. Um, and um, thank you for dropping your backdrop uh, earlier, so we, can, we <laughs> could have a little bit of a laugh. Uh, yeah, I know you did that on purpose. It's, it's I great.
1: did. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah the, I have a string here, and I pulled it. That made yeah, it yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Great job, well done. It, it looks really natural, really. Yeah, it I did that. I loved it. I loved That's it. Not, I loved not, it. Yeah, not, <laughs> thank you. You've been listening to Doing Well, the Wellbeing Science Insights podcast produced by the Wellbeing Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes are available from 10 Life Management Perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, YouTube